Good morning, everybody. I'm Eureka John, and you're at Eureka Street Crypto Podcast. And it is, what is today's date? January 21st, 2022. It is 622 in the morning on Saturday. And this is episode number 496, and slowly creeping my way towards that 500 mark. I don't even know if I'm going to continue doing this after the 500th show. Um, you know, I'm only getting down to maybe one or two a month at this point. And I've just been so busy with a bunch of other stuff. You know, uh, I started off, flipped on the switch October 24th, 2020, and just started creating episodes and learning, just kind of navigating my way through this crypto space. And uh, as I say, this was my message in a bottle to reach out to other people who are interested in this stuff. This is my sandbox to play and experiment around with. And um, what was the other one? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. But anyway, um, yeah, so I've, I think I've come real far. And uh, I started off just uh, as a way, just getting involved and learning about Bitcoin as kind of almost in a way to just, you know, get some beer money. Um, but uh, since then, I haven't drank in over three years. And um, I've gone down this rabbit hole in the crypto space, started my own YouTube channel, and then moved on to creating other types of podcasts. I mean, it's and just the amount, just the, the financial speculation part of this is only just the very, very tiny tip of the iceberg of what's going on right now with you know Web three, blockchain, with AI, with IoT, the Internet of Things, you know, with five <clears throat> G. You know, it's just all this stuff is converging at once. Big data and it's just like we're reaching a point of singularity, you know, where where it's going to be out of our control. And if we're not already there yet, and it's it's just if anything, even if I there's nothing I can do about it or whatever, it's it's still good to for my own psyche to just know what's happening, you know, and know that what the squawk box on the mainstream media is telling me is all pre-programmed and it's a lot of it is now being written by AI as we'll explore here. And it's just, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Okay. All right. So let's get on to some of these topics. And, you know, I'm nothing, nothing I do on this show is formal. Okay. It's just me poking around through some tabs of some things that I found are interesting. Some bookmarks on Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff like that, that I've saved to just kind of marinate on it later on camera. <clears throat> and so that's exactly what I do with this show. Um, I'm not here to give you a, 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 a list of techniques, you know, A, B, C, D, you need to do this to become rich in 2023 or anything like that. It's nothing like that. So if that's what you're expecting to learn about crypto in that way, uh, you're at the wrong place. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so let's go over here to CoinGecko. Um, I haven't really been starting with price, but uh, it's good. Oh, who turned on? It's in day mode. Okay. Okay, hold on. Let me go over here, and I will put the screen up for those of you watching on YouTube. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, oh, well, okay. Yeah, I'll just try to say what is on the screen. Okay, so, and yeah, this coin gecko is in day mode. Let me switch this over to night mode. Oh, much better. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, try to put down your phone before, and I'm not going to preach, but, you know, try to put down your phone at least an hour, you know, well, 
to try not to sleep with the phone in front of your face, basically. Turn, put your phone in airplane mode. <laughs> like, like, put your phone far away from your head. You know, um, some people even go to the extremes of turning off the Wi-Fi router. I don't do that, but um, yeah, maybe I should. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, and try not to stare at the blue screen until you fall asleep. It's just terrible for your circadian rhythm. If you don't know what your circadian rhythm is, it's the rhythm in which you sleep. And sleep is the most is the best thing you can do for yourself. It's the time when your body repairs itself. And right now we're in a time where we, our body really needs repairing from everything that's, even if we're eating perfect and exercising and doing everything that we should, crossing all our T's and dotting our I's, we are still being bombarded with toxins and uh, the sleep is the perfect time. And now with the blue light, it's attacking the way we sleep. So try to do that, really, I mean, I'm serious. Okay, because I've been sleeping very well. You know, I turn off my phone. Um, I try to turn off my phone well before I go to sleep. I put the phone in airplane mode away from my head. I go to bed at like 8 o'clock every night. And, you know, it's just like I have a regular sleep pattern and I feel 100% better with my exercise, you know. And I exercise every day. Um, the eating part, still not quite there yet. But, uh, you know, I do eat quite a bit of processed foods. But, you know, I, I'm becoming more and more conscious of trying to eat less processed foods definitely have cut out the seed oils you know that you seed oils are basically you know vegetable oil and stuff like that that you cook in it's basically diesel engine lubricant if you didn't know that so cut that out and you will feel a lot better i guarantee um anyway this is not a health podcast uh um so let's um, take a look here. Bitcoin is over as is over twenty thousand again. Um, it got down pretty far, and so everybody's like super stoked. The past seven days, it's up fifteen point two percent at twenty two thousand nine hundred and two dollars nine hundred thirty two dollars and thirty five cents. Ethereum's at sixteen hundred and forty eight seventy five, up thirteen point four percent in the past seven days. So that is really cool. Um, I haven't really been paying attention to the activity of a lot of these other tokens in quite a while. Um, I've never even heard of this one down here, Aptos. I mean, that's like up eighty point two percent. But you know, there's always those weirdos that are you know that shoot up and then they hover there for a while and then they tank or something happens. You know, like, you know just like SBF and. Doquan of Luna, you know, everybody swears by this or that exchange or token for a while. And then it turns out that it's all just a big Ponzi, you know. Unfortunately, we've seen tons of Ponzi's, but that's just the the life in the crypto space. You know, as as the crypto space matures and develops, we are still in the Wild West. Even now in 2023, we're still in the Wild West, like well into 10 or so years since all this technology has been invented. Um, yeah, so... Same thing with the internet happened in the 90s. You know, we had the, the dot-com burst and you know, we had a dot-com business being built for every single thing. And that was basically just a, a website with nothing behind it. Just like you have tokens that pop up out of the woodwork with a white paper explaining what it does to lure in investors and, you know, and for people to buy the token. And then once all the tokens are bought, then the, the devs and the founders take off and you know, a lot of, in a lot of cases, they're anonymous. You know, and they take off with all your dollars and leave you with all this this vaporware and these tokens, just like that are worth nothing. And uh, so you have to watch out for that. Um, 
I've been caught in things like that as well. And an NFT project called Freaks and Guilds. I actually kind of enjoyed playing that game too. And uh, it, they just took off with all the money. So, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know what? Live and learn, crash and burn, and that is what happens, um, especially in the crypto space, but especially in any kind of innovation. You know, with any kind of innovation, there's always going to be the hucksters that come around, and uh, you know. But I still believe in the mission of it, of decentralization, of your creating your own personal autonomy, of creating your own personal identity in the digital space, because we are moving into the digital world, whether or not you like it or not. I mean, everything we do has some sort of digital component to it. You know, our logging into our bank, paying our car note, you know, whatever with money. And then now even with medical type of stuff, you know, you can, you can do your uh, doctor's appointments online. You know, if you have like a minor ailment and you just need some kind of prescription drug, um, there's tons of online classes. Education is being overtaken by by um, the, the digital space. And in all that digital space, you uh, basically need to be able to change and buy things and it would be nice to buy things like you can buy with cash without some kind of banking intermediary to audit your every single little step. You say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Well, you're not yet, maybe. But, uh, you know, what if at some point, and this is very real and very now, they start tracking your every single move for your carbon footprint, right? And then, you know, for how much meat you eat or, you know... <laughs> Where you go, geo-tracking on your phone and start taxing you on that type of stuff. And all this can be done with the central bank digital currency, the CBDC, which is the digital coin that is going to be brought in to the United States by the government, right? And then that's track and trace. And this is everything that the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and all those people that are meeting in Davos and Switzerland right now, um, that's all the type of stuff that they're scheming in combination with AI, in combination with IoT and the blockchain, and all that stuff is converging. So we have one or two, one of two directions we can take: the centralized route, which would be complete enslavement of everybody in monitoring, tracking, tracing, and surveillance, and uh, in the name of climate change, to be able to uh, you know, tax us on all our carbon footprints while they sit there and take all their you know, private jets all around the world and to Davos, Switzerland to meet and talk about how they're going to enslave us. But, uh, and then also, um, so yeah, the CBDC, or we can take the route of going the decentralized identity route. And because we don't want to have to become a Luddite and give up the entire digital space in order to be able to participate in order to be able to stay away from this stuff. We still want to be able to participate in the digital space. I mean, I love online classes, you know, I love if, if I have something wrong or something, my kids have sniffles and they need some prescription grade cough syrup or whatever, um, I can log online and see a WebMD type of nurse or a doctor and they can give a prescription right there because they can kind of see, you know, you on the, on the webcam and yeah, that's great. But I don't want all that to be tracked and traced, you know, um, and it would be nice to be able to log in anonymously to certain types of things as well. And this is where the whole concept of the digital ID comes into place. You know, because if you have a digital ID, then that immediately makes you tracked and traceable and everything like that. It was like zero effort from the government. And, uh, you know, 
right now in order to pay for anything it all has to go through visa or mastercard or american express and all that is tracked and traced as well um and audited and you know you can't do a lawn mowing job without somebody paying you on venmo then somehow you know a chunk of that twenty dollars that you've made to mow the lawn somehow gets taxed at the end of the year then you're a criminal if you don't pay that taxes right so okay so that, that's why we need this digital cash and why we need an anonymous digital ID and stuff like that. Um, I found some articles. I'll, I'll start with this one here. Uh, Towards digital self-sovereignty, the Web3 identity stack. I'm not going to read the whole article, but I will put the links in the description. Um, so, I mean, this article covers core concepts in a decentralized identity. Um, in the evolution, okay, this article covers core concepts in decentralized identity, the evolution of identity on the, the internet, a layer-by-layer -layer overview of Web3 identity infrastructure stack. So they go into the details of like, you know, all the infrastructure and how you can set it up and related developments in privacy primitives. Pers proof of personhood, the proof that you're actually a person, uh, compliance in the application layer will be covered in a, sh in a future article. Okay, so anyway, so identity is an emergent property consisting of data associated with a person. You know, a, a lot of people, or I thought, you know, from the, I think of identity as an 80s kid, you know, the geeks, the preps, the jocks, you know, and... and if you're a teenager, you you associate your identity with whatever type of music you listen to. Uh, I was certainly associating my identity with like Depeche Mode back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, late 80s. Um, so anyway, identity is an emergent, emergent property consisting of data associated with a person, entity, or an object. In the physical world, we hold this data in our brains in the form of abstract reputation and mental associations. In the digital world, identity is formalized into two components. The identifier, which is a unique set of characteristics or numbers that identifies a subject, like your passport number, your Twitter handle, or your student ID. And then there's the data associated with that subject, the travel history, the tweets and follows, and academic achievements. So... Creating an identity layer for the internet is a hard problem because there's a lack of agreement on what it should be and how it should be run. Everybody has their own ideas on what an ID should be. Digital identity is related to context, and we experience the internet through many different kind of kinds of content which exists in at least as many different contexts. Yeah, we use the internet. The internet is just one big tool, and we use the internet for a lot of different reasons, for a lot of different contexts. And uh, you know what, what I'm doing this morning on the internet might not be quite the same thing as what I'm doing later today whenever I'm trying to keep my kids occupied and watching like, uh, you know, Hello Kitty, right? So that, that's the thing about YouTube preferences and setups. You know, I have the dad on my YouTube and I'll watch my, my technical videos and, you know, I'll, I'll watch my how-tos and, you know, uh, and all that type of stuff and, and my overviews of Web3 topics. But then on that very same channel, you know, I'll have my my daughter come up to me and hang out and she'll want to sit on my laptop while I'm on my computer and I'll turn on Hello Kitty and Wile E. Coyote and all that stuff for her, you know? So, <laughs> so in my preferences, it shows, you know, Bitcoin fundamentals next to Hello Kitty, okay? And so there's a lot of different contexts in why I'm using the internet. 
just the context of my digital identity is fractured, right? Okay, so creating an identity for the internet is a hard problem because there's a lack of agreement on what it should be and how it should be run. Digital identity is related to context and we experience the internet through many kinds of content which exists in at least as many different contexts. Today, much of our digital identity is fractured and under the control of a few parties whose interests are to prevent spillover from their context to any other. Okay, these, these entities right here are corporations and they see customer relationships as key assets and they're reluctant to give up control, right? So, so far, no single approach has served as motivation to do so. Even ad hoc identity one-offs are better than a framework that is out of control. All right, and then number two, specific industries like finance, they have unique needs, compliance, when it comes to maintaining digital relationships with customers and vendors. And then number three, governments have needs that distinguish them from other kinds of organizations. For example, jurisdiction over driver's license and passports. This paradigm has created a power asymmetry between the individuals and the parties that, ma that manage our identities and data. It restricts our, auto our autonomy to consent selectively disclose information about ourselves and port our identities across contexts for a consistent experience both online and offline. Decentralized identity has been a collective effort long before the rise of crypto and Web3. The overarching goal is to give individuals back autonomy over their identity without relying on centralized monolithic gatekeepers. Misuse of customer data and erosion of trust in large corporations has put decentralization at heart of the next era of internet identity. And I totally agree with that. Um, since I have my Texas driver's license and um, the reason that I would give my ID to a cop if he pulled me over for speeding is different than the reason I would give my ID to somebody if I were to go into a bar, right? Uh, on Crypto Sapiens, another podcast that I work on, um, Evan McMullen of disco.xyz, she, she said this pretty concisely, and I will play this clip for you here real quick um, So in her interview with Humpty Calderon. And this just got published yesterday, so go to cryptosapiens.xyz and you can see the full interview, but here's a little clip of it. There. You used a word here that I'm going to assume most people are, don't know what it means. Can you define briefly zero-knowledge proofs and how do those interact with... Uh, your self-sovereign identity and these credentials. For sure. So if we imagine that, you know, we, the crypto sapiens, are running through the Web3 landscape, carrying our tokens in our wallets and data about ourselves in our data backpacks, carrying them from one app experience to another, um, when we think about a zero-knowledge proof, this will allow us to share general information about ourselves to determine whether we fit the requirements to enter someone's party, to enter their app, to receive privileges in their on-chain interaction, um, but we're not revealing the plain text contents of what that data is. So um, to borrow an example from our beloved Harvard professor, Larry Lessig, that he has been talking about since the late 1990s, you can imagine that today when you go to a bar uh, in the United States, you've got to present a driver's license or similar ID to prove that you are of age to enter the establishment. 
But in handing that credential over to the bouncer, you're also telling them how tall you are, how much you weigh, your eye color, what street you live on, way more information than is required for them to discern whether or not your data fits their requirements. So instead, in the future, you might imagine that a zero-knowledge proof could enable us to share uh, our identity data for that establishment to receive a thumbs up. Yes, Humpty is of age or is uh, appropriately qualified to enter this establishment, and then we proceed on through. So we're able to determine that, yes, indeed, this, this party fits the requirements of our uh, of our accessibility, but we aren't asking what exactly is their data. So sort of in conclusion, zero knowledge proofs allow us to change the question for apps from what is your data to does your data fit my requirements. Okay, so yeah, that was um, a really great explanation by Evan McMullen of Disco.xyz. Uh, go to cryptosapiens.xyz and you'll find that whole episode. It's an outstanding episode about what decentralized ID is all about from the basics to more advanced topics. And then she's talking about zero knowledge proofs. So how can you prove who you are in a digital space without basically giving up tons of information about yourselves and without some large monolithic uh, entity, corporation, government, or whatever, gatekeeping and keeping all that information and possibly using it against you or you know also having getting hacked and then having that data leaked everywhere you know and then i've i've preached before on previous episodes a lot of times you're giving up that information about yourself for free and then those entities are selling that data and using it for advertising and all that stuff and making billions of dollars off of your information or ai is using it to feed itself and not paying you for for it for the food that it eats you know because ai eats data um, anyway, so yeah, th there's an interesting project called Holonym. Um, Clint Amenic, one of my fellow Journo Dow colleagues, um, he is um, friends with the people here, and I, I believe he's doing some work on this project. It's called Holonym.io. Um, let's go here to the homepage. And Holonym, basically, it uses zero-knowledge proofs and it, it purports itself to be a passport for your Web3 ID um, to be able to um, be anonymous. Um, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let this website explain it. So your hollow is your ZK passport for Web3. I don't know if they have a token or anything like that. Uh, but anyway, so you can access fair airdrops. You can vote anonymously on things. Yeah, a lot of times that's another use case is voting. You know, you people don't have to. All people have to know when you vote is one that you're of age to vote, and two that you you're eligible to vote in that district. If you, if if you you know, are voting on something in Austin, Texas, you need to prove that you live in Austin, Texas, and that you're over 18. And that's it. They don't need to know anything else about you. All right. Um. So and then that you could recover your wallet if you lose your keys. You know, that's I've lost my keys to a wallet. And when I first started out doing crypto stuff, you know, there was like 800 and something dollars worth of stuff on there. And that, that sucked. Um, anyway, it's secured by zero knowledge proofs. And that's what Evan just described in that clip. So fully decentralized, private and, on, and, and, and anonymous. How's that possible? And they go through the white paper. All right. So let's take a quick look at this. Um, there is a clip. Of, okay. I'm going to hop over to something else here and then I'll hop back to, um, to, to Holonym, 
but this also helps describe. And I know in a long time ago on some previous episodes, I've talked about the par- parable of Alibaba's cave. Um, it, it, Google that if you, if, you, if you have time, Alibaba's cave. I don't have time to explain it here, but that's traditionally what has been used to explain zero knowledge proofs. For those of you who can't see the screen and they're on audio, I'm gonna scroll down. It's like this PDF, interactive PDF document. It's awesome, it has animations on it and everything. And it explains zero knowledge proof. So I'll try to explain what's happening. So it shows like a desert scene. Um, and here's the title page, Zero Knowledge Tech, the future of free association and free speech. The content was made thanks for the support of Radical Exchange. Hold on, let me take a sip of my green tea. Ah, switched over to green tea. I'm gonna sit on the porch when the sun starts to rise and try to get some of that morning sun and recharge my my body, my skin. Um, yeah, because yeah, the morning sun is the best sun if you can get catch some of those rays. All right. Uh, okay. So a decade in, it's clear that Web three is still in its infancy, and it shows a little scene of a western town. You know, like, kind of like getting ready for a duel. There's a guy here with his hands up, um, but the rising sun and a tumbleweed passing by. And there's a bunch of crooks sitting there. And this this one townsperson here, he's just with his hands up surrendering. And all these crooks here and thieves are looking at him. Right now, the space is still a wild west for airdrop farmers and attackers. That's absolutely true. Like I said, where there's innovation, there are grifters and hucksters and you know, criminals and hackers and all types of stuff. At the same time, it's not easy to prove you're not a bad actor without destroying your anonymity. And that is true. You know, there's a lot of people that prefer to stay anon for various reasons in the Web3 and crypto space. And um, it, there's a lot of very well-informed, amazing people that are anonymous. That, and there are people that, that I've worked with now for two years in this Web3 space. I still don't know what their real names are. Um, the guy who taught me everything that I know about sound engineering so far, which is not much, but you know, he was an amazing sound engineer. All I know about him is his name is Soundman. That's it. I don't know anything else about the guy. You know, I think he lives up around Chicago somewhere, but he's an amazing guy, and I've I've sat online with him, you know, and him teaching me how to use audio equipment one on one, you know, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, I. Wish there was some other way, and, and now he's dropped out of the Web3 space, as far as I know, and uh, or at least the Bankless DAO, and I don't know who this person is, and there's no way I can thank him for all the knowledge he's given me, just because his name is Soundman. <laughs> anyway, at the same time, it's not easy to prove you're not a bad actor without destroying your anonymity. All right, and um, so it goes down to the next slide here, and there's some clouds, and it says, so how do we help Web3 grow up and be a safer space? Okay, here we present you with Zero Knowledge Tech. And that goes over the sun. Zero Knowledge Tech enables whole new possibilities for people to come together safely and anonymously. Yes, and on top of that, let's say I wanna create a movement to radically reform the California university system, okay? And it zooms in on California, open only to California residents, okay? And who went to college, in, and to people who went to college in California. If this movement, oh, 
if this movement used holonym, so that this team did this for holonym, which is holonym is zero knowledge tech, then they could vote and people interested in joining could stay anonymous and yet proved they live in and went to school in California. And it shows this person, their ID being scanned by some kind of robot. There's a blue check mark. And so, and then it just says vote. And then it shows all these people that are voting and then the little blue check marks. This means they are now in anonymous mode, but at the same time, everyone knows they qualify to be a part of the voting, okay? And yet a lot of times too, you wanna to be able to vote because voting can be dangerous. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. It depends, you know, especially in a very turbulent political climate. And uh, there's a bunch of thunder clouds right here and some rain. The space is full of attackers, but with zero knowledge tech, we are safe. And it shows the crowd of, of um, people using holonym underneath the umbrella. This technology allows everyone to take action with less risk of being personally attacked or persecuted for their activism. Like I said, space is... It can be, and voting can be a very volatile and revolutionary action um, that could possibly persecute you. That's where ring signatures came from, and the whole idea of Monero and using ring signatures for for privacy online. It's because back in the ancient times in China, um, if somebody were to petition against the emperor, they all petitioned using instead of a list, a top-down list, they put their names in the petition in a ring so nobody could figure out who the ringleader of that particular petition was. And so that's where the whole idea of ring signatures came from, if you didn't know. So take action with less risk of being personally attacked or persecuted for their activism. All right. So um, at a time of rising censorship and polarization, zero knowledge tech is key to the future of free association and free speech. So yeah, if you vote on something, and uh, you can do so without being canceled because you know, canceling is rampant. And then that, that's it. This content was made with the kind support of Radical Exchange. And it was made for Holonym. So now we'll go back over to Holonym. Um, and so, yeah, your Holo is your ZK passport for Web3. And how Holonym works is basically you, you let them scan your ID one time. Right, It temporarily passes through Holonym's servers, so Holonym can sign the credentials, attesting to their authenticity to give to the user. Data is immediately deleted from Holonym servers and from the KYC provider's servers after the signature is generated. Even if a user does not trust a KYC provider, the protocol gives math-slash-code-based privacy. Each user's ID is anonymized in a mixer named the privacy pool. The privacy pool exists to break the link between a user's identity and a user's crypto address. This creates a level of privacy where even if a KYC provider on Holonym tries to surreptitiously collect user data, it still can't identify as users' crypto wallets, and neither can Holonym Foundation. This level of, of privacy is only possible due to zero-knowledge proofs. So th I, this whole idea of the mixer is really what made me understand it because... Um, there are people that say, well, you know, Bitcoin can be easily found out through chainalysis. Yes, people use it for money laundering and criminals use it, but you can never, you know, hide your actions on Bitcoin because 
blockchains are transparent. If you know somebody's crypto address, you can see every single thing that they've done. If you know somebody's Ethereum address, you can see every single asset that they hold and all the all the stuff that they did. The last episode I did that covered nukes, you know, and it gave little badges for certain things that you've done in the Web3 space that you can prove when you go to a new space of how, you know, deep you are and how much of a veteran you are in the Web3 space without necessarily giving up your entire identity, but you can get these NFT badges for, for instance, being an Ethereum user for over two years, you know, or for being a CryptoKitties user or stuff like that, you know? Um, so that that's what Nukes does. Well, this is kind of like the opposite of Nukes. <laughs> it, it basically it puts your your id and associated with your crypto address in a mixer with tons of other different ids and that's that's like i was saying there are now there are bitcoin mixers as well and that's how money launderers in a lot of cases are able to to hide their identity whenever they're moving money around and you don't have to just be a money launderer or criminal to want to hide your identity in your transactions right so people were that's the whole thing behind tornado cash and that guy got arrested i believe in denmark and stuff like that and tornado cash got it's a protocol it's not owned by anybody but they arrested one of the main developers because tornado cash was a mixer to be able to mix transactions you know, to where you couldn't see where a transaction came from or where it's going and you couldn't match the two together um, because people want privacy for a lot of different reasons, you know. Um, so, yeah, you know, <laughs> and it's not just criminal based. So your identity, you know, you don't want everybody using every aspect of your identity. You don't need to have everybody know everything about you online. And so what this does is this uses zero knowledge proofs, mixing your crypto address with your Web3 ID and to in a mixer, much in the same way. And uh, yeah, it, it creates pure anonymity on online. So uh, let's go to the about page and I will read one more page of this. What is a hollow? A, holos, a holistic identity that lets you prove facts about yourself without revealing who you are. Why? Privacy on a public blockchain is hard. Yeah, blockchains are transparent, as I just said. However, giving data to centralized custodians puts privacy and security at risk. How does it work? After minting a hollow using your government ID, you can use the hollow to privately verify facts about yourself without another party holding your information. And uh, yeah, so you know, government ID, that's about as as um, uh, strong of an ID as you'll get. You know, it prevents Sybil attacks. You know, and if you don't know what a Sybil attack is, a Sybil attack is when somebody creates a bunch of identities to overtake a system. Uh, for instance, say, you know, a county was voting on uh, putting in a specific road that would really help alleviate traffic. But there's one person in there, in that county, that did not want that road because um, it cuts through a tiny corner of their land. Eh, okay, they might not like that. But if everybody else in the county voted and said, you know, okay, we really need this road because it's, a, you know, the only other way we have is to go 30 miles around. And so I'm sorry that the corner of this person's land is going to get cut off a little bit. Well, if that person that owned that land were to sit there and create 10,000 different versions and IDs of themselves and voted 
10,000 times, then they could completely overtake the majority in that vote. I don't know. Probably a terrible analogy, but, um, you know, because I do sympathize with the person with the land. But um, yeah, that's kind of kind of gives you the ID idea. So having a digital ID and then having it be anonymous for voting purposes as well, um, all that stuff just kind of makes sense, you know. And it it counteracts the whole idea of the central bank digital currency, where you know the government or a centralized entity owns and tracks and trace traces you and all your information and taxes you as a result. You don't want that. You want the decentralized version, which is everything that I've explained here with zero knowledge proofs, with Holonym, with Disco at .xyz, with things like Bright ID, with things like Orange Protocol. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different ones. In this first article I pulled up um, towards digital self-sovereignty at the Web3 identity stack, this one also lays out a bunch of different options for you to look at and for you to explore in further. I'll put all the links to this stuff um, in the video description and in the podcast description. So, I mean, but I do think that web three ID is a, is a really, really important topic. And so as we move into this digital space, so you really need to become educated on it. And even if you choose not to do anything about it, at least be aware of it, be aware of CBDCs and be aware of, you know, decentralization versus centralization in this decent, in this web space. So, all right. That being said, um, I'm going to go enjoy my Saturday and try to get some sunlight in and all that stuff, exercise, all that good stuff. All right. Uh, I will talk to you when I talk to you next. And uh, when we get to 500, we'll decide if we're going to keep going. All right. Uh, let me find my outro. Here we are. Outro. Thank you for making it to the end of this program. If you actually like this content, give a thumbs up. And if you want to hear more, just hit the subscribe button. I'm available on YouTube, Odyssey, and BitChute, and on all the major podcasting platforms in audio version. Spotify specifically. If you would like to follow and leave a review, that would help a lot. I am also available on Twitter at EurekaJohn1. That's E-U-R-E-K-A John, J-O-H-N, and the number one. My DMs are always open. Feel free to shoot me a message. Thanks again.